Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to the midweek instant reaction episode of Revolution Recap. Uh, we chose a great time to record immediately after the game. The Revolution dropped a home game against the Montreal Impact 3 0. Uh, the scoreline does not reflect the story of the game as it was 0 0 for the majority of the match before Cody Cropper mishandled a free kick in the 79th minute, leading to the uh, back breaking goal by Shamit Shome. Uh, Anthony Jackson Hamill added a pair of goals just to add some salt in the wound and make everyone a little bit more miserable for the drive home. Uh, and the Revs officially end their three-game homestand with three points in three games and also a whole lot of shame. Uh, I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me is Sean Donahue. Sean, how are you holding up? You know, I think somebody sent us a question or a comment uh, that we should spend the whole episode talking about the Spurs, and that sounds like a, a better idea to me right now. Yep, right off the bat, let's get it out of the way. I mean, I, I, in a way, I don't blame you and I kind of almost would rather talk about the Spurs right now but you know we did make a promise to our listeners that if we got five reviews on iTunes that we would uh, give them a podcast about the revolution so I think we are contractually obligated we're legally obligated I was saying I, I, as a lawyer you should know that Sean so unfortunately we have to be miserable for the next uh, 30 to 40 minutes what, what about the guy that asked us to do a Bruins podcast though can we can we revisit I know- that a couple weeks ago, yeah, we were asked, uh, have we ever considered being a Bruins podcast? Actually, we have a, a number of suggestions of what else we can cover. We'll get to that when we get to the um, Twitter questions uh, segment of our show. Uh, but there's a lot of good suggestions of thing. one of the things we could talk about um, because the revolution season is uh, not going great. Not, not going great. And, you know, you can't say this team doesn't keep surprising you because it feels like we hit a low point again and again and again. And somehow, some way, they find a way to just really just kick you in the groin. So, I mean, hats off to them for finding new ways and being creative to create misery for their fans. You know, I've been covering this team since 2002 and following the team since 1997. And I just can't remember, you know, there have been a lot of bad years. I can't remember anything like this before. As, as bad as they've been at times, um, this the feeling of this season and the feeling of, you know, that... I don't see how they're going to turn it around. It's just pretty unique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm still in shock. Um, I was telling you before, uh, before we started recording that I don't even really remember the last two goals because after that 79th minute, I was just in such a state of shock that I, I could not believe that Cody Cropper, after the game he had, had that mistake. I'm still in a bit of shock. So if I seem a little distant or just really down the dumps. That's why I'm still shaking off the shock uh, of that uh, <laughs> that goal. I'm I'm still astonished. But Sean, um, what was your uh, key takeaway from this uh, disaster of a game? Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a couple of ways I can go with this one, and I think two of them are are kind of intertwined in a way. Um, you know, what, the first one is that Friedel just doesn't know how to motivate his team. You know, how many games this season have they started so poorly? And that that was the real. You know, there's a lot of stories from this game. There was the Cropper miscue, um, but the team started really poorly in this one, and I think that a lot of that goes down to, to Friedel's inability to motivate the team. At halftime, again, he was talking about how you know, we're second to every ball, and you know, it's just the same type of thing we've heard time and time again this season, and that's on the coach to find a way to get his team motivated. They just came off of 
you know, an important three points that they got on Saturday. You know, they're going against a Montreal team that, um, you know, if you hadn't read about it, they were supposed to fly out to, to Foxborough uh, yesterday and they had to wait, or the day before the game, they had to wait uh, five hours at the airport, five plus hours, and didn't get to go. And then today they chartered a flight and then they were stuck in the tarmac for a couple hours today before they could fly out to Foxborough. And we knew Piotti was going to be out, but then on top of it, Ty Dare, who's their second designated player, was also out. So, you know, arguably their two best players, certainly Piotti is their best player, and Ty Dare, I think there's a case to be made as their second best player, were out for this game. They made four changes from the lineup that lost through nothing last weekend. Um, and the guys they brought in were largely young and unexperienced guys. There were a couple guys in this lineup that were making just their second start uh, at the professional level. There were you know, four guys in this team that were 21 or younger um, in, the, in the starting 11. This was a game that the Revolution had no excuse not to win. Uh, you know, Yes, they were coming off short rest, the Revolution, but Montreal was coming off short rest, too, in a much worse situation with the travel and with the guys that were missing. Uh, this was a game the Revolution should have gone out and dominated. Montreal has had four games on the road this season without Piatti. They've managed to combine five shots on target in those four games this game they had five shots on target in the first half and nine shots on target overall so almost double the the amount of shots on target that they've had in the four prior road games without Piatti they had in this one game that is just absolutely terrible and pathetic and I think a lot of that falls on Friedel and not having these guys ready to go from the opening whistle yeah, and, and you mentioned, too, that Montreal made some changes. It, what's interesting is that the Revolution kind of played their exact same lineup, exact same formation uh, as Saturday against the Red Bulls, which worked. They got the three points. It was a one nothing victory. It wasn't an offensive clinic by any means, but they, they ran out the same lineup, um, the same bench, too. There was no changes in the 18, no changes in the 11, um, and it seems like Maybe that rotation in the lineup, I know a lot of people might read that as you're playing your reserves, you're playing your backups. I think that coming out of the gate, Montreal might have had a little bit more of an advantage because you did have some fresher legs on the field. You were running up and down the field more, whereas it felt like the revolution were you know, com- coming off of a short week. They seemed a little bit slow. They seemed a little bit on the back foot. Um, what would you say to that? Do you, do you, were you surprised to see the exact same lineup? And do you think that that might have created a bit of a disadvantage for the revolution? Yeah, I, th- I think it might have. And it's also, you, you know, you mentioned Montreal and what they did is, you know, we've talked a lot this year about leadership on the revolution. And, and again, going to the motivation thing, Montreal was missing a lot of their leaders. They're missing Piatti, like I said, they're missing Tidera, like I said. They're missing Bakari Sagna, the, you know, veteran defensive, um, the veteran right, right back that they have on that team that's been really good for them. He was out for this game too on the bench, um, you know, probably for rotation reasons. So a lot of their leadership wasn't even playing in this game. Um, but yeah, I, I think it did work to their advantage. They had a young guy, a lot of young guys are out there trying to prove themselves and, uh, you know, earn more minutes. And they certainly looked a lot more motivated and a lot more ready to go from the opening whistle. Um, it was it was something to watch, uh, you know, Oakwan, Oakwan, I'm, I'm going to completely botch his name, <laughs> the 20-year-old left winger, um, 21-year-old left winger from Nigeria on, on Montreal that was really tearing up uh, Farrell for a lot of this game. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think the changes worked in Montreal's favor and the revolution really went all in in this game. The fact they stunk, stuck with the exactly the same 18 and exactly the same starting 11, you know, tells me that they wanted to go 100% and get three points in this game and, you know, perhaps at sacrificing um, the trip to Sporting Kansas City and it really backfired. Absolutely. And and yeah, I, I agree with you. That I think they were trying to go for three points here and they were hoping that a similar game plan would work out uh, today. And, and Montreal came in very, very prepared. Um, you're right. I, I'm I'm going to tr- take a stab at this guy's name. I'm going to uh, mispronounce it, but uh, Kod- um, I'm just going to say <laughs> the 20-year-old left winger like you. <laughs> Number 18. 20- 
I mean, he he was given feral nightmares all throughout the first half. I mean, it, it was pretty apparent too that they were trying to push the ball in the wings, um, or or you know trap uh, Luis Caicedo, uh, uh, not Castillo, uh, uh, Caicedo uh, in the middle of the field, and then it kind of exploit the left or right flank on the counter attack. Uh, mostly the left flank, Farrell got burned a little bit too, but you could kind of tell they were trying to do it on the right side too at times, um, and and it was working the first 30 minutes or so. To the Revolution's credit, they did adjust a little bit, but it really felt like the first 30 minutes they were just passing along the back, trying to pass it into the center to uh, Caicedo 1 or to Heal, uh, and then there'd be a turnover at midfield, and then there's no one covering the wings because Farrell and Castillo are pushed up. And that's the style of soccer they've been playing all season long, and it's very, very predictable. And we've seen Columbus come in and you know just kind of sit back and wait and wait and wait and counterpunch because the revolution are creative enough on the ball they don't have the possession skills on the ball they're not creative offensively so why not just sit back wait for the 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 revolution to just pass the ball around then hit them on the counter attack because this transition defense it's a lot better than it was last season but it still has its weaknesses we've seen columbus do it we've seen cincinnati do it you know friedel complained that cincinnati does it but but it's a really effective method and and montreal did it very very well in the first 30 35 minutes and it was a miracle they got out of that zero zero now the revolution started kicking the ball long um towards the end of the first half and, and they, they started breaking down montreal at the beginning of the second half they actually played significantly better in the second half than the first but um score line does not reflect it at all so um yeah i i think it's a major failure on brad friedel's part to i mean they got off on this game on the, the really really wrong foot and it was because of very dumb predictable reasons that we've seen time and time again that these teams are just going to try to hit you on the counterattack right away yeah, no, absolutely. And it's just shocking that the Revolution still haven't figured out a way to, to break down a defense like that. Zero shots in the first half. That's, you know, kind of incredible to me. Again, when they're facing a team that had switched up half of its defense that was missing its best offensive weapon. Um, there are so many reasons why the Revolution should have won this game. Uh, and to see this play out the way it did. And, you know, talk about possession where Montreal really dominated possession for the first half hour. Um, I like looking at the five-minute intervals that, that MLS Soccer makes available. Uh, between the 10th and 15th minute, Montreal had 69% of the possession. Between, I believe it was the, the 25th and 30th minute, Montreal had 80.4% of the possession. The Revolution turned things around a bit in the second half, despite you know what happened scoreline-wise, where they you know, fell apart there. Um, but Montreal really dominated that first half, and I, I know you know we talk a lot, or you know the, the Revolution broadcast team talks a lot about how much possession the Revolution have in the final third and how much possession they have in the box. Uh, Montreal was actually dominating in the first half as far as. Uh, passes attempted in, in the final third in this game. You don't usually see that with the Revolution. Usually the Revolution, you know, struggle to create chances, but at least they have a lot of possession in the final third. In the first half, that wasn't the case. You know, again, it changed in the second half, but the Revolution just came out so poorly in the first half. It's, it's just, you know, shocking to me that in the position the Revolution are right now, near the bottom of the standings, uh, you know, finally, hopefully building some momentum with that win over the Red Bulls and going into a game that, you know, everyone gave them every chance to win uh, because of the situation Montreal was in, they just came out so completely flat. Yep. And I tweeted out a, a photo of the passing chart in the first half. And I mean, there is no even attempted passes in the middle of the field in the attacking half. It is all middle third. Most of most of their passes were in the middle third because they were pressing up because Montreal was sitting back and waiting for a turnover in the, in the middle of the field. Um, they're, they're just passing it back and forth across the middle of the field, and then they tried working it down the side a few times and, and were unsuccessful at that. So, I mean, they, they had no successful passing in the middle of the field for a good third of the game. So um, I, I 
give Friedel a little bit of credit. He didn't make any subs at halftime, which I thought was kind of crazy. Uh, but it, it, they made some adjustments. It looked like Diego Fagundes kind of came back, played a little bit more in the midfield, gave him another body. Um, and they, they, they seemed to adjust pretty well coming out of halftime. And they seemed to be in control a little bit of the game um, until the Cody Cropper error, or error, which we will get to later. But, um, yeah, th- there is no excuse for this team, especially after this conversation, the, the, all the talk about mentality, about effort, um, to come out this flat in this important of a game. You're ending a home stretch, and another win would have really put you back – almost in the playoff picture, you, you still have a really, really tough shot. But, um, I mean, back-to-back wins against New York and Montreal, two teams in the East, this would be a very, very different narrative if they win this game one to, one to nothing um, and instead to kind of end the homestand like this and then to go into Kansas City, um, it looks very, very bleak. Yeah, so Good, good um, luck with that. <laughs> yeah. um, my key takeaway, and I don't want to harp on this too much, because we have said this every single podcast, I feel like this season, but I don't understand why these players just don't shoot the ball on target. I have absolutely no idea what is going on. It it must be some sort of sick joke. I don't know what it will take to change this crap. Um, you know, Caicedo too. There's a beautiful counterattack with Diego to Caicedo to back to Diego. He finds uh, Carlos Gil. He slides in Caicedo, who has a, a shot on frame, and then the defender catches up to him. He dribbles around a little bit and then makes this weird sliding shot that wouldn't have gone in even if it did get through, but it didn't get through because the defender easily blocked it away. Um, Teal Bunbury had the ball at his feet and, again, somehow kicks it out for a throw-in. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, it's you know it's not, it's so sad. I, I I don't know what is going on with Teal Bunbury. That nine games uh, in, one shot on target for Bunbury and two shots out for throw-ins. I I genuinely believe. I mean, we we all make jokes, but he's not this bad. And and I I think once he gets one goal, he he's gonna get some confidence back, and I think we'll see a little bit more. But I, I don't know if it's just like technical, if he's mechanically doing something wrong. But my goodness, it curled the wrong way. I I am stunned that we saw that again, and man, I, I just feel terrible. He was also super ineffective the entire game. That's not necessarily his fault, but he had 13 touches at halftime. Um, Fagundes had 17 touches at halftime, so neither of them were involved really at all in the first half. Um, so I I hope Unbury can can get it together soon, and and even just put a decent shot on target Um, because the one shot he has was that header that he kind of scuffed and he was standing right next to the goal. So um, boy, like again, another blunder from him. Um, As I say, I I hope he figures it out soon because he's a key part of this team. Um, And then uh, probably the most aggravating part of the night was Edgar Castillo. Beautiful uh, ball worked in Caicedo two, perfect pass to Castillo cutting through the box really should have one touch shoot and, and Castillo overthinks it holds on too long, gets the ball knocked off of him. Um, I, I don't know what it's going to take to get this team to just shoot the ball. I, I almost would rather them take a shot. That's, you know, three feet higher than that because they're at least trying. They all seem scared to shoot the ball. And did they have a single shot on target uh, this game, Sean? I haven't nope. seen the, the final. Zero. So I, I don't know what it's going to take here. I have absolutely no idea what it's going to take for this team to regain their confidence and just shoot shoot the ball when they need to shoot the ball. And even even last game, Pania's shot wasn't even that good, and it went in. If you if you buy a ticket, sometimes you win the lottery. Just shoot the ball on target. We're, we're getting to the point now where you know we joked about um, 
that your Juan Caicedo over under of five goals and we all thought it was probably going to be over and you know then you revisit it and now we're all starting to think it might be under you, you might get to you know a couple more games you might start thinking about over under revolution strikers five goals I mean right I think you have to take the under right now I mean how 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 much of the season's passed by 20 percent I mean this I is more than this is pathetic <laughs> it is pathetic and every single person in that locker room knows it too everyone is uh, Ugh, even Feldman. Feldman on the Caicedo chance. That was... Uh, 26% of the season is gone. I mean, Feldman, Feldman, oh, that was uh, unorthodox. Like, I mean, my goodness. <laughs> I, 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 I have no words to how just dreadfully awful the offense on this team is. And I don't know why they're this awful. Because you look at it on paper, coming into the season, they have so many attacking options. They have so many guys. I mean... Fagunda scored 10 goals last year. Bunbury scored, what, uh, 12? Um, you know, Caicedo 2 is a TAM 2 signing. I'm also confused why they bring on Caicedo 2 and and the Revs brought him on because they think he can hold up the ball better than Bunbury or whatever. I, I'm sorry. Every time You want him to have as few touches as possible. He is so awkward with the ball. He can pass the ball. He can hold up the ball a little bit. But, man, like – there are so many times where if he has the ball and he has times to think it's not going to lead to a scoring chance. So I, I, I don't know what is going to fix this team. I, I think this is, goes way beyond tactics. This is, this is an insane, an insanely poor inefficient offense that I don't know how you're going to fix. Well, what happened that made Diego Fagundes, you, you said tail Bunbury again, you know, I think he had 11 goals last year. Uh, Christian Penny had 12 goals last year. Did these guys become bad overnight? Like what, what happened? They, they were guys that could finish. Um, and now they don't seem to be able to finish. I don't understand how that changed from, from last season to this season. Well, you know, the tactics are different and the roles are different. Um, but did, did all those players just become instantly become you know, terrible finishers? I, I, I don't really believe that. I, I, yeah. I, 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 am, I am genuinely – there's no words to describe how bad this offense is and what's happened here. What exactly has happened here? Is it just no confidence? Is, is are they? Tr- uh, I don't know. I, as, as I said, with, I didn't with want Bunbury, to much with on Bunbury, I think it's probably no confidence because he's a guy that I think relies heavily on confidence. And um, throughout his career, he's been a streaky player where he goes on runs and he scores a lot of goals, and he goes on runs where he doesn't score anything. Uh, so for with him, I don't think it's out of character for him to you know have a streak like this where he doesn't score, um, and then go on a streak where maybe he scores ten goals in, in twelve games and then disappears again. Um, but you know, Fagundes, you know, he's a streaky player in a different sense, but his finishing usually is there. At least he's, you know, putting shots on target. Um, and Pania certainly last year, he had, you know, a couple streaks where he wasn't scoring. But it's, it's just shocking that all of those guys right now that, you know, were pretty productive offensive players last season uh, can't get it done. Well, and I mean, Edgar Castillo, who, you know, last year was a very, very productive left back for the the Rapids, you know, He's been playing all game. He's been crossing the ball out of the box. He's looked fine. He's had a couple of good games back-to-back. He gets the ball in the box. Shoot. He has a clear shot at goal. He's within the box. Shoot the ball. Like, what do you – but instead he tried getting around the last defender. I, I don't know if they're being taught to try to tap the ball in and to get it, you know, right down to the goal line but I, or always look for one more pass. I, I don't know. But everyone on this team is hesitating. Shoot and, the ball. Well, and honestly, up until this game, I thought Castillo was one of the few guys that, that wasn't hesitating to shoot the ball when he got an opportunity. So that was surprising right. to see in this one. Yeah, that's what I mean. I, 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 what else could he have wanted out of that chance? I don't know. 
<sighs> okay, so let's go to the other side of the field and let's talk about the goalkeeper who had a great, great night for the first 78 minutes of the game. Um, Sean, uh, I actually this is my fault. This one's on me because I said I tweeted out that we were now a pro Matt Turner and Cody Cropper podcast after his uh, double save uh, in the opening minutes of the game. Um, obviously, he literally and figuratively dropped the ball. Uh, on this game. So, uh, Sean, what, what were your thoughts on Cody Cropper's performance tonight? And, and I should add, too, I should add, too, is he getting another start or is it Turner time? So, my thoughts as far as Cody Cropper go is for, you know, for all this, this season, I've been kind of waiting for him to have a really good game. Um, you know, even last week, he had some errors. And throughout the throughout the season, I thought he's made the saves he should be making. And the goals he's given up, he couldn't really do much about. So there's been no reason to bench him. His distribution was a ton better than than Brad Knight and overall, you know, even with a few flubs. Um, and there's really been no reason to bench him. But I didn't think he'd made any spectacular saves. Going, you know, this first half of this game and this game overall, until the 78th minute, I thought we were finally seeing the Cody Cropper that I'd been waiting to see. One that was making, you know, fantastic, phenomenal saves, being acrobatic, athletic, you know, couple in that second half for a minute it was where he made those two quick saves and quick successions that you know really kept the revolution in the game early uh this was the best performance i'd ever seen out of cody cropper until that 78th minute um so it was you know shocking to see him you know make that flub after such a good performance um but you know to, to go further to your point of you know will we see him again next week i think we should see him next week i you know i feel bad that he made that horrible flub in the in the 78th minute because he was the only reason the revolution had kept the game scoreless up until that point um, i think the revolution deserved to be losing that match uh after the first half and if not for cody cropper they would have and it was a horrible error uh but i think it would be very harsh or friedel after you know the season that cody cropper's had so far and after the first half that he had and after how well he did after that you know one terrible error to to just pull him after that um i think you have to have some sort of leash with your number one keeper especially after the amount of games that he's played now this season um and you know give him a pass for that one error if he he, you know goes into the next game and makes that same mistake again then sure pull him uh go right to go right to turner but um you know until then i think he should still play but with that said if if you know bradfield does pull him for the next game i wouldn't be surprised yeah, tr- traditionally, it seems like this is a mistake that Brad Friedel pulls his keeper and, and subs someone else in. He seems like he has a very, very short leash with his keepers. And he also seems like he, you know, confidence kind of carries over game to game to game. And we kind of saw Matt Turner towards the end of the year kind of be a little sluggish and, and kind of lose some confidence with some plays. Um, so, you know, I, I could totally see something where Cody Cropper, you know, giving up three goals late in the game, one of which is directly his fault. I, I could see that being a reason um, to rotate in Matt Turner and see how long he can hold it until he makes a mistake too. Um, but I, I will say, I mean, Cropper had a great goal. Um, you mentioned earlier this season, he's been making the saves he, he needed to. Um, his expected goals uh, average or, or expected goals um, to goals allowed. It was, uh, or, or, sorry, goals allowed minus uh, expected goals allowed. He he was in the negatives, which is but you know a good thing. He was negative 0.5 expected goals allowed. Yeah, I, I think I did that right. I probably confused everyone. I'm I'm, I'm still in shock, guys. I'm sorry about this. <laughs> but the point is, he was he was performing slightly above average, uh, slightly above a replacement goalkeeper. I'll, I'll put it that way. So uh, he was kind of coming in uh, doing well, and then yeah, at the beginning of this game, um, he, he was performing very very well. Um, and and but as I say, that was such a huge error towards the end of the game, and it, it cost you probably at least one point, potentially three, because the Revolution were in control of that game, and all the air out of their tires were coming, 
that was just gone after that. So, um, yeah, I, I could see Matt Turner starting next game. I would not be shocked to see him in there. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a good chance it does happen, but I don't think that's the right move yet. And to and I say that as someone that thinks that Matt Turner does have the highest ceiling of the Revolution goalkeepers, even after this performance um, by Cropper and those saves that he made. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think it just sends the wrong messages if, if after one, you know, one big mistake, uh, you pull your goalkeeper like that. Yep. Uh, Sean, you also want to talk about Michael Mantian a little bit? Yeah, so the second goal in particular, I thought Mancien, um again, was caught very flat-footed. And it's something that we've seen throughout the season, um, that Mancien on crosses, you know, he's in a position where he takes one step, he can block the cross, but he just stands there. And that's what we saw in the second goal. I think the Revolution were, again, kind of in shock from that first goal. Uh, but the second goal was preventable. I don't think that cross was particularly fast. And Mancien takes one step, he blocks it. Uh, but instead, he just stood there. He was in position in front of Hamill. Um, Overall, that was a poorly defended play. I think Andy Baba or, or, or Mancian needed to keep a closer eye on Jackson Hamill than they did there. Uh, but it's just a, a recurring pattern from Mancian that I've noticed a lot this season on plays like that, where he's in a position to, to step forward and block across, uh, but he just gets caught flat-footed and stands there. And that's really disappointing for a guy that's getting paid as much as he is um, to see that. Uh, overall, I don't think he had a horrible game, but you know that goal just stood out as something that we've seen several times now this season. Um, that, I, that I observed. And what's actually, on the flip side, I thought Mancian was one of the most dangerous offensive weapons for the Revolution in this one. He had a couple of shots, and they were actually two of the, the Revolution's closest uh, shots in this game. Um, so offensively, Mancian and Annie Baba have been some of the better players for the Revolution. Uh, defensively, I don't think this was Mancian's best night, um, particularly on that one play. And I don't think it was Annie Baba's best night either um, on a few different plays. Well, so I think my big weak spot along the back line was Andrew Farrell, who we can touch. Uh, we've already touched on him a little bit. I don't think we need to really um, hammer it in too, too much. Um, but Mancian and Andy Baba did kind of pro- do some decent uh, prevent defense towards the end. They, they did clear a couple of dangerous low crosses after Farrell got burned in the early minutes. And, and they, they seem to have improved their emergency defending a whole lot. Um, and I will say, too, that their set piece defending has improved a lot this season as well. So I think a lot of people will um, talk about the back line and, and, and kind of say negative things. Uh, but uh, thinking, having the same feelings as last year. Um, but really, I mean, in, in my opinion, we have seen some strides uh, from from the back line. But you're absolutely right. There are times where it seems like, you know, when they're not motivated a lot, uh, you know, Mancien, as you say, maybe a little bit of lack of effort there on that second goal. Um, I, as I say, I was personally shell-shocked. I don't really remember everything. I kind of blacked out for the last 30 minutes of that game there, or last 20 minutes of the game there. So, um, but he, he, we've talked about this before too. He's the captain. So you really want to see the captain kind of pick up your team um, and, and kind of, you know, get people back in it. It's only a one goal game. You can still bring a point out of it. Um, and, and Mancien looked just as dead as everyone else uh, in the stadium. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Not a very inspiring performance uh, for him. As I say, I, I'm kind of judging him based on the last 30, you know, 20, 30 minutes. Um, but yeah. Not not very positive marks overall. Um, we already talked about JFC and uh, uh, Bunbury a little bit and their kind of difficulty with their lack of finishing. Um, did you have any other thoughts on Andrew Farrell, I guess, before we get into the list Yeah, of no, I did want to touch on Andrew Farrell again because I thought this was, you know, Farrell got a lot of credit and deservedly so a couple games ago for his you know defensive effort. I thought in this game he was really poor. Um, he had that turnover that led to that that whole double save sequence for Cropper made. That was a you know terrible turnover from Farrell that led to it. There were three or four times where Farrell just got beat um, by his man. I think the the second goal was one of them. He actually you know he used his recovery speed to kind of get back in position, but um, you know he got beat initially on that on that chance. Um, 
you know, offensively and, and passing wise, it was one of his better games as, as, as far as percentages go. But he had some key turnovers that that really left the Revs out to dry. And then a couple times where he you know, went in for a tackle and missed, and it really left the Revs out to dry. So for for all the plots we've been in O'Farrell lately, I think defensively this was one of the, the you know the worst performances I've seen from him. Yeah, and I was thinking at halftime too. I didn't tweet this out, but I was wondering, you know, do you bring Brandon By in at right back because he was getting burned down the the right side so much that I don't think Brandon By could have done a whole lot worse. I know that, you know, we. I feel like Brandon Farrell, or, or I'm sorry, uh, Andrew Farrell is a um, more defensive option, kind of a veteran player, a little bit more stable. But he had one of his worst nights uh, all season long, and I, I'm sure he'll be the first one to tell you that um, they were really going at him there. So, um, and and not even defensively too, but possession wise, he had a couple of um, passes that he just had a terrible touch on, and he, he kind of let the ball go in the midfield. Uh, I think he had a couple of missed tackles too. I don't have the stats in front of me, but um, yeah, just a really really poor night by Farrell. Um, he recovered, uh, you know. He, he probably was kind of the reverse of Mansky and where he'd have had starting 20, 30 minutes uh, and then they kind of pr- improved as the game went on. Um, but uh, yeah, between this and then uh, the goal a couple of weeks ago where he was playing center back and a player just went around him, um, he's clearly lost a little bit of a step. And, uh, you know, I, I question the revolution strategy of having him press up as much as they do because he, he doesn't seem to be able to uh, get back and respond uh, as quickly as he used to. No, I, I agree with that completely, and it's it's unfortunate. I, you know, Farrell, I, I thought is one of the more solid defenders on the Revolution, and he's you know shown it at times. But this, you know, this game in particular was just a, a tough one for him. And there were you know several plays in this game where the Revolution did have some possession in the offensive half um, and couldn't do anything with it, and then turned it over and led to quick counterattacks for Montreal. I think most of you know Montreal's chances were quick counterattacks when the Revolution you know had a little bit of possession and couldn't do anything with it and, and then you know turned it over. And you mentioned Farrell's tackles. I was just trying to pull this up. Um, Farrell attempted eight tackles. He was only successful on four of them. Um, he was also only one for three on aerial duels, um, you know, committed a foul and just you know generally not not a game to, to write home about for him. Yep. Yep. No, I agree completely. Um, Sean, you want to hop into Twitter questions? We have a lot of depressing questions to tackle today. <laughs> I, I'm ready for it. Okay, so let's start with the um, obvious one that I, I feel like a lot of people are going to ask because it's a, yet another demoralizing loss, it's seemingly another new low for this team. Uh, but we are getting questions about Brad Friedel's status as the head coach. Mohammed um, Hussein asks us, uh, should Brad be fired and what would it take for Kraft to sell the team? We'll, we'll tackle Brad Friedel first. Um, Tyler also notes, uh, if you're going to fire the coach before the end of the season, this is the game, <laughs> this is the game to do it after, right? Uh, and then Zach Grime, at, Zach Grime asks us uh, how many more F-ups until Friedel gets sacked. So let's tackle Friedel's um, status first, and then we can talk about Kraft potentially selling the team. Um, I, I still think he's getting towards the end of the season. Uh, and, and we've talked before about how it's kind of this awkward stage where you're bringing in a designated player who's not Robert Lewandowski. And, um, you know, he's going to come and he's going to come this season and, and he's Brad Friedel's guy. So you can't really let Brad Friedel go. But then once he gets here, he's going to want to stay here after you fire Brad Friedel. So I, I'm not entirely sure where that stands, but I can't imagine them letting him go before the designated player gets here. I'll say that. I mean, is that designated player a done deal? Because if so, you know, why haven't they announced it? You can announce a guy that you've signed on a pre-contract if it's you know actually a done deal. Um, so maybe it's not a done deal, and maybe part of the reason it's not a done deal is they're thinking about firing Brad Friedel. I don't think that's actually the case, but I'm just throwing that out there. Um, I do think Brad Friedel at least has through June. I think if at the end of June uh, the Revolution are playing like they're playing right now, 
um, then I think there is actually a serious chance that he gets let go then. But I, I, I can't see them, you know, not giving him another two months to, to try to turn things around. With that said, the, the more times they get to halftime, and you hear Brad Friedel talking about how they were second best every ball at, in the first half, and just repeating the same things over and over again, and the Revolution having the same type of performance over and over again, um, you know, the more you, you can't ignore that if you're, you know, the front office of the Revolution and, and trying to figure out what to do going forward. Um, you have to wonder if, if Bradfield can't get his team motivated for a game like this, you know, you have to wonder if he's the right man for the job at this point. Uh, but again, I would be shocked if he's you know not here at least through June. Yeah, and I, I agree with your your comments, but I will say one more thing too, which is that you know th- this this failure is not all on Brad Friedel. I mean, it's not Brad Friedel's fault that you know this team is not shooting when they have clear shots at goal. I mean, hypothetically, if Edgar Castillo shoots the ball, you know, there's a rebound and it goes in, or Edgar Castillo scores on his his clear path to goal. I mean, then the Revs are up one nothing. If you know, and and you know, if it wasn't for a Cody Cropper mishap, there's a very good chance that they keep a clean sheet so i mean they, they weren't too far off from three points today it's just there were a lot of errors on the players tonight um so you know obviously i think everyone's going to look at the manager because he's the most replaceable person um but uh, you know this game is not all entirely on Friedel. I do think there's a lot of criticisms that we talked about in terms of, you know, the team not being motivated enough. Tactics kind of seemed standard and, and kind of predictable um, where Friedel doesn't really make a lot of adjustments after a win. He kind of plays the hot hand. So, um, I mean, there certainly is a lot of things to criticize Friedel over, but I don't think that this is a game where you have a hot, uh, uh, you know, hot take reaction uh, and and you get him out of here. Um, this is a, this is a, game in may and um I, I think he's got much more of a leash and, and whether or not that speaks to the ambition of the front office or um what i i don't know but i, I think he's got at least until june i i would say probably beyond that i think he, he if he the earliest he's getting fired is kind of around the same time where jay heaps is getting fired and the writing is on the wall for the season i, I don't see a a managerial change unless they go on a very very long losing streak okay, well here's one thought and i'm just gonna throw it out there you look at the revolution schedule, if everything was going terribly, the perfect time to move on to a new coach is after the June 2nd game because the revolution have 24 days between games at that point and you're, you know, you're basically giving a new coach, you know, more than three weeks to implement his tactics and his strategy on the team uh, prior to that June 26th game. That's your chance to, you know, really take a hard look at the team and, and turn things around with another coach before it's too late um, if you were to do it after that June 2nd game. I think if things are absolutely terrible, you maybe think about doing that. But that's the the first opportunity I would think that might happen. And only because it's such an opportune time to make a change if you're thinking that way. Yep. I would also say, too, that – I mean we've talked about this a little bit before, too. But I think if you get rid of Friedel, you have to get Burns out as well. I don't think you can go through another coaching change and the same front office because there seem to be a major hindrance of the front office. And I think if you do do a major change like that, either one, your season is over, or two, as you say, there's a big gap between games where you have a little bit of more time to to plan and prepare. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think they're getting toward to at least the end of the season. Um, but you bring up a very, very good point about the three weeks without uh, games where you might be able to do a midseason regime change. And also not give up on the season. I should add that a little bit too. Um, in terms of craft selling the team, I don't see it. I don't. I don't. I don't see anything at all. They're, they're already investing in the uh, uh, academy. They've already got that built. Uh, he doesn't really have a reason to sell. I know that there are people giving up, you know, two hundred million expansion fees, and and maybe someone comes along and makes him an offer he doesn't refuse. But um, I, I don't see him ever, ever selling the team. At least 
not for I don't know. It, it, there there would have to be a major major change um, for for Kraft to kind of change course. But it seems like right now he's perfectly fine being the owner that he is uh, and uh, and and keeping this team. Well, and I'm sure they want to get World Cup games if the U.S. gets the what are the. But I'm sure he wants World Cup games then. And every time there is those expansion fees, as you mentioned, you know, he gets a portion of that. And there's revenue sharing in MLS. And I don't see any reason why Kraft would consider signing this team. And the MLS has to approve it too. So if you let's say Kraft does want to sell the team, okay, well, there's no stadium. Where, where would they play? Because Kraft probably would not let them play at Gillette Stadium anymore. Or he, I mean, I guess he could lease lease the stadium to them. But you have a stadium issue now. So um, there's a lot of uh, Park. Uh, hurdles over that. Yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, Revving Matt asks us, at what point do you guys start covering the Boston Bolts instead? Uh, you know, I, I just don't think there's enough of those away games on television for us to watch the problem with that one. Yeah, there's a lot of things we could uh, kind of switch it up to, but uh, I, 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 I don't have the knowledge for the Boston Bolts. I can't say that there's a whole lot of... Uh, a lot of input I would have, but I will say that if we ever did cover the Boston Bolts, we would have to try to get former Boston Bolt Miles Robinson uh, on the podcast because he is a loyal Boston Bolt. Uh, so <laughs> kudos to him. Um, Cody Hall asks us, uh, what do you think Jonathan and Robert Kraft are doing tonight? Um, Robert might be meeting with his lawyers. Um, Jonathan might have been at the game, but Robert, definitely not there, I would say. Yeah, Jonathan goes to a lot of games. I admittedly was not there tonight. Midweek games are pretty much impossible for me to go to. Um, I would, you know, I would think there was a good chance Jonathan was there, but I think, I think uh, Robert has, you know, more important things on his mind right now. Yep, yep. Um, actually, Tyler, on that same line, uh, what are you guys going to be talking about the rest of the season? There's clearly not going to be much competitive rock uh, uh, revs soccer to suggest. Uh, Chinese Super League is only seven match weeks in. Maybe we can all follow a team there. Chinese Super League is, is a little bit fascinating to me because they spend all this money on these really expensive, you know, world-class strikers, and they spend no money on defense. So if you're a fan of you know terrible defense and, and great world-class strikers, well, maybe you're a fan of the Revs anyways and sit and watching the opposition. Um, but Chinese Super League might be for you. I, I I don't know. We'd have to look into uh, Chinese Super League teams and and start covering one. Give give kind of a weekly update on them. Um, Jay Alexander Dolan uh, asks us. My vote is just to let Sean Donahue talk about Spurs the whole time. Sean, I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Are you ready? You know, I have never been more excited for a Spurs season in my life since I see them in the semifinals against Ajax coming up uh, next week. So if you are not a Spurs fan and you want to watch two underdogs in the Champions League semifinals, now is the time to jump on the bandwagon and become a Spurs fan and root for them against Ajax to get to their first ever Champions League final. Uh, that's all I got. Oh, wow. 12 seconds to spare. Um, Cameron Young asks us, will Somi ever get game time with the current struggles? He can't perform much worse than what is currently happening. You know, I think we might see like Nicholas Firmino play left back before Somi sees the field. <laughs> There's more of a chance of them trading back for Kellen Rowe and putting him at left back. There's more chance of Matt Turner playing left back than Somi. I don't necessarily think it's fair either. I, 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 you know, we were not huge Somi fans, but it's kind of ridiculous at this point that they're not even giving him a shot. I will say though, Edgar Castillo, um, you know, for the most part, with the, you know, not not taking that shot aside, I don't have a whole lot of complaints about Edgar Castillo, and I don't know where else you could play Somi other than left back. I don't know who you could move or where you would put them, um, but. You know, it doesn't help Somi that Edgar Castillo is actually putting in some decent performances week in and week out. Um, there doesn't, you know, it, it Castillo is just 
far and above a much better option than Somi. And um, even with Castillo out, they did not want Somi in the lineup for some reason. Um, I think if there was ever a week to play him, it was that. So I, I can't see Somi ever playing a game for the Revolution again. Maybe U.S. Open Cup, um, but I, or probably the Chelsea friendly. We'll probably see him get some minutes, but uh, he's done something that has just buried him uh, below the depth chart at every single position. I'm not sure why. Why? Why? I don't know. Maybe it's because he's funnier than Friedel. Oh, that's true. He made a joke. Um, I don't know if we've actually gone through this joke, but uh, two or three people on the Far Post podcast have named Somi as the funniest player uh, on the team, which is kind of funny. The team, he seems like a very, very well-liked guy, um, but uh, I don't know, he's the Johnny Gomes of the Revs, where uh, you don't really remember anything that he does on the field, but he's the clubhouse guy. So, um, do I go? <laughs> do I go wholesale on the hard stuff after the debacle, or stick to beer because it's a work night? I say you just call out, call out, do whatever, go out, have fun. Just it, this is this is bad. This is a bad, uh, bad result for the revs. So I call in sick. It's pretty, you know, what is it? April. You still got sick days this year. Call out, go, go all out. This, you, this, this earns a going all out performance. I'd say. See, I, I don't know. I feel like this is one of those nights where you got to moderate yourself a little bit, stick to the beer, and then Saturday be prepared for an absolute bloodbath, and that's when you got to have the hard alcohol ready. Because if you, if you go hard today, what are you saving for Saturday? Yeah, that is true. You need to pace yourself because there is probably another loss in embarrassing fashion against Kansas City. So that's a very good point, Sean. Um, Jake Katniss asks us, I'm on a big cricket kick right, right now. World Cup is a few months away. There's that team in Bangladesh, question mark, uh, that basically uses the Midnight Riders logo. So, Sean, any thoughts about moving to cricket as a potential podcasting topic? <laughs> I, I do remember seeing that team's logo. That was a complete ripoff of the Midnight Riders, which is hilarious. And uh, I think we should jump on that bandwagon if we're going to go to the cricket route. But what was I, there was another sport that I discovered this week that was in. Um, a, I got some email about some Swedish sport or something where there's like a combination of like golf and baseball or something where like, I don't know, I was thinking about becoming a fan of that sport. I got to remember, I can't remember the name of it, but uh, if, you, if you haven't seen it, you should look it up. It's some weird, weird combo of like golf and baseball where people like try to swat your ball out of the air when you, when you like tee off. Um, so I was thinking about that sport as my next choice. You know what else we could do? Um, I remember we went to the hurling game a few years ago. That was pretty fun. And we could get press passes for the hurling game that they do at Fenway. Do they still do that? This, they do it every November, right? Yeah, it already happened. Wait, it happened back in November. Yeah, I didn't go this year. Yeah, so that, we, that could, we could just get press passes for that. I think that'd be pretty cool. Hurling is pretty awesome. I, my, uh, my cousins in Ireland call it hockey cross with murder. So I mean, I'm sold. Uh, Shane asks us, I have many questions. Let's start with, why do I spend my money on season tickets for this team? Great question. Yeah. <laughs> Based on this season, that is a good question because I, you know, I don't think I'd want to pay to watch this team. Um, I'm, I'm going to answer the same way I answered why they don't shoot the ball and just say, I have no idea. No idea. I don't know. No. Um, we got another, do you think Brad Friel will be sacked mid-season question? Um, <laughs> and this person has changed their uh, name on, on uh, Twitter to hashtag Friedel out. So uh, it's going well in New England. Um, let's see what we got here. I know that this is a very pro-Turner slash Cropper slash Knighton podcast, but at what point do we need to start consider jumping off the goalkeeper carousel and start spending money on a proven option between the sticks? You know, I still don't think when you you know talk about all the problems with the revolution that goalkeeper is anywhere near the top of the list. 
Um, again, I'm you know if the Revolution stick with Cropper a few more games, I, I'm okay with that. If the Revolution you know, switch to Turner, I think he can get the job done. Um, you know, Knighton is serviceable. I think you you know, you know what his ceiling is. Um, you know what his floor is. Uh, you know, he's obviously the most proven of the guys because he's been around the longest. I, I, yeah, a fantastic, phenomenal goalkeeper could help the Revolution. But if I'm prioritizing what the Revolution need, that's so far down the list that it's you know, not really even entering the conversation. Um, Seth uh, from the Bent Musket asks us, um, why did you guys bail on Matt Turner? And uh, he's he's probably replying to a tweet where I said that we were officially a pro Matt Turner and Cody Cropper podcast. I guess he kind of took that as a little bit of a portrayal for Matt Turner. But I just want to say that officially that I felt at that time that uh, we could make room for Cody Crawford because he was putting in a great performance. I think that's on me. I think that's my fault. I probably ruined the game for everyone tonight, so I jinxed it. Yeah, so. you, you definitely jinxed uh, it. But we'd never turn on Matt Turner, or at least I wouldn't. You you kind of turned on Matt Turner last season. So, But it's Turner time this year probably, so hop back on the Turner train, Sean, and everyone listening. Um, zero goals rest of the season. Zero goals allowed. Um, Chris Ryan asked us, uh, Boston City FC or New England Revolution? Um, not sure if he's asking who would win or if we should cover Boston City FC, but their season does start this weekend. They play at Hartford. Rivalry game right out of the gate. Uh, so anyone that wants to, I, I believe that game is during the day too. So if you want a local team that might win, uh, I believe Boston City FC's games are streamed for free. Uh, any input, Sean? I mean, Boston City FC for a you know MPSL club is, is run you know, very well and very professionally. So if you're looking for a lower division team to follow, um, they are an interesting team to follow. But if the question is <laughs> Boston City FC or the New England Revolution, who would win in a, a, uh, a match, I'm not ready to go that far yet and say Boston City FC. Things are bad, but they're not quite that bad. Uh, Seth uh, from the Bent Musket also asks us, let's say Friedel has let go this season. Who would you appoint as the caretaker? I like the idea of Jermaine Jones or Charlery Joseph. Interesting. I, you know, If I were to guess who gets appointed, I would guess Paul Mariner. Um, but who would I like? Someone, it to be? someone actually said that. Someone actually said pull Paul Meritor out of the booth. Uh, they actually said to be his assistant because this actually led to a Twitter conversation that I'm now just catching up on. But someone actually did suggest Paul Mariner uh, to move down to the field. That would be my guess of who it would actually be. And I, you know, do I think it would be an upgrade from Friedel? Yes. Do I think it would be the right choice? Not so sure. Um, you know, I would really like to see a guy like Steve Ralston get a chance with this team. I don't know if that's in the cards, but if I had to pick somebody um, that I'd like to see see get a chance with this team, it would be him. And just personality-wise, um, from knowing you know what Steve Ralston was like as a player and you know, talking to him a lot when he was a player, he strikes me as pretty much the exact opposite of Brad Friedel, which I think would be perhaps a good thing for this team right now if they were to make a change. Uh, someone wants us to comment. There was a, a Twitter comment that said, um, and I'm going to edit this because we don't have an explicit tag, uh, a staggering pants pooping by the uh, revs there. Wow. Uh, and someone says, uh, can they? Can we discuss the accuracy of this observation? I would say very accurate. I would say very accurate. No, no disagreement here. And I think it was uh, Jake Katniss last week that said, are the revolution pants? And we forgot to answer his question. Um, but did, along the, yes. same, the, the same lines, uh, maybe that was two weeks ago, but along the same lines, uh, yes. Uh, let's see what we got here. It looks like everything else is commenting about the caretaker manager. It seems like everyone wants Brad Friedel gone, which doesn't speak very well to his tenure here. 
Uh, yeah, looks like that's it. We're kind of going this as this goes. Normally, I kind of write them down. Someone else, uh, Colin McIntyre, asked us when does craft sell. We already kind of tackled that one. So, yeah, we kind of hit the uh, major questions of what else we want to cover and when will Brad Friedel be fired. I think those are the main talking points that we needed to get into tonight. So, uh, yeah, I, I think we're all set here. Um, Sean, uh, oh, no no news from this week that I think we have to cover. I, there were some transfer rumors that were pretty much trollery. I don't think we really need to go into that at all. Ever. Yes, let's avoid that. Uh, so it's it that was, was a joke. It was a joke. <laughs> um, I actually texted you and I said, even if this is real, like what, what you know, Kraft would have to sell, still sell equity to uh, Bayern Munich in the team because the transfer fee for Lewandowski would be way too high for, for him to ever step foot on the field for the revolution. More are, of a chance are, of... are you saying but, the revolution are not going to compete with Real Madrid, Manchester United, Chelsea, and Chelsea. Paris Saint-Germain yeah. in transfer conversations? I, yeah. Are you saying the Revs are not on that level yet? No, no. I think Corey Lewandowski has more of a chance of playing for the Revs. Uh, so, so uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, we don't need to go into that, even though we, we just kind of did. Um, Sean, do you have any uh, final thoughts uh, to wrap this uh, podcast up? I, I'm actually just curious, since we, we're doing a midweek podcast and there's a game on Saturday, what you think the lineup's going to look like against Kansas City? Because I have some thoughts, and I think they, the Revolution, I know we talked about it before, and kind of called up the, the all-hustle lineup that we saw um, Brad Friedel put out there with guys like Dewan Jones and Brandon Bay and more of a flat 4-4-2. And my guess is that we see something like that in Kansas City uh, after this game, because I think a lot of guys are going to need rest. I think Edgar Castillo is going to need rest. He just came back from an injury, and now he's played 90 minutes in, in two games in quick succession. Um, so many times, so many times. <laughs> you know, again, if there was ever a time for him, it would be now, but I don't think there's any chance that that's going to happen. Um, but I'm just curious if you have thoughts on what the lineup might look like on Saturday, you know, given what we've seen these past two games and the, the really quick turnaround. <sighs> um, I really don't know. Uh, and, and normally after a loss, Friedel mixes it up. It's kind of, I don't want to say it's predictable too, because because whenever we have a loss, it seems like he comes out with a totally different lineup. He, he tries different things. And, and after a win, you can kind of expect the exact same thing. So he, he's unpredictably predictable that we're going to see something different. I, I think you might see a, more of a 4-4-2. I, I think DeWan Jones comes back somehow. Um, he's been out of the 18. It just That just seems like something he would do where he throws a guy that's been out of the 18 the last two weeks back into it, expecting you know, a bit of a spark too. Um, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see the young guys in the game. I wouldn't be surprised to see Tayon Buchanan start somewhere. I don't think we're seeing Teal Bunbury and, and Fagundes start up top again. There is no chance that that yeah, is happening. Definitely not. Um, I, I, I can say that for certainty. Um, but in, in terms of what formation, I'm not even going to try to guess because it is such a wild card. So, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> uh, and I'm still, I'm still numb from, uh, I can't believe that was an hour ago. I literally just stared at the wall for the next five minutes, and then the second goal went in, and it kind of broke me out of that coma. I am, I have this. This was a stunning, stunning game for the Revs, and I am speechless. Uh, I mean, I've been talking about it for an hour, but you know what I mean. Figuratively, I am speechless. Um, Sean, I do want to note that. Uh, for for our listeners of the podcast, it might have sounded like I was trying to remember something. It's because we did forget to mention something. Sean, did you want to say anything about Diego Falleri and his accomplishment that he, he uh, from last weekend? Oh yeah, he had a very impressive career score of uh, he's now at sixty nine goals and sixty nine assists after last weekend. So I thought that was uh, you know pretty good, wouldn't you say? It's a very nice career he's uh, put together. <laughs> I will say that. Do you, do you think uh, Brandon McCarthy would tell him he should probably retire now? <laughs> No, absolutely no one is getting that joke. Absolutely no one <laughs> is getting that joke. Um, I tried. So I will, 
I will explain it. But if I remember correctly, I, I think Brandon McCarthy, who was a former pitcher for multiple teams, um, he ended his career with exactly 69 wins and an ERA of 420. Uh, and he pointed that out on Twitter that he, he felt obligated to retire when he saw his stat line. So um, that is the running joke there. Um, we're we're uh, a very yeah, mature that, that podcast. No one would have gotten. That is, that is very well done, Sean. Um, I actually am going to end on a bit of a positive note. Um, Sean, I know you've been following the team a lot longer than I have. Do you happen to remember a game on August, uh, not August, April 17th, 2004, the San Jose Earthquakes beat the Revolution 3-1. to one. Um, Landon Donovan had two assists for the Earthquakes. Taylor Twelman scored the lone goal for the Revolution. I, I don't know if you remember that game at all. Do you have any memory of that game? I, I do not. It was an insanely long time ago, and I just wanted to point out that that game where Landon Donovan had two assists against the Revolution playing for the San Jose Earthquakes, that game took place three days uh, before the last time the Toronto Maple Leafs moved on to the second round of the NHL playoffs. So I want to just end it on a positive note. The streak continues, uh, and I couldn't happen to a more deserving uh, group of fans. So uh, go Bruins. We're kind of a Bruins podcast now, so go Bruins. Uh, and uh, the streak continues. Can't wait to knock the Maple Leafs out of the first round next year. And go Celtics. And go Celtics. Last time that Toronto advanced in the playoffs, uh, the Red Sox, the curse of the Bambino was still intact. So I, I, I was looking up facts from 2004 uh, today, and I just wanted to kind of point out that how long ago that was and how long that fan base has been miserable. So uh, just by comparison, I, I think we can feel a little bit better, right? You know, I just have to say one last thing because uh, Seth just tweeted it out. Montreal had nine shots on goal tonight, as we talked about. The Revolution have 13 shots on goal over the course of their six home games. <laughs> so I just had to bring you back down to earth because I just saw that on my Twitter feed from uh, Seth McComber from the best my skid. I couldn't let that one go. You know, I try to be happy. I have to listen to you talk about the Spurs. I, we have to talk about the Revolution right after they have this loss, and, and you just throw that one back in my face. I also can't state enough that, that Montreal has had one goal in their last four road games without Piatti. They scored twice in their last five games. They, they had no offense whatsoever, and they really cracked the code today. Astonishing. Yeah, and their four road games without Piatti, they had one shot on goal total, and you know, and three, three of them, they had only one shot on goal in all of those, and then one of them had two, and they had nine in this one, so... Yeah. Rough. Absolutely rough. Um, apologies if this this game this seemed like a bit of rambling. Obviously, this was a lot less structured. We just kind of started this right after the the uh, game ended. So uh, I wanted to thank everyone who did leave us a review on iTunes. Uh, I, it didn't look like we were going to get the fifth review in there, but this morning it came through. So uh, to those five heroes out there, thank you very much. Um, there was also immediate regret right after that Cody Cropper uh, goal where I, I kind of realized what happened and I thought, oh my God, I have to talk about this. So um, you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. You can also like the Revolution Recap page on Facebook. Sean, where can uh, our good listeners follow you on Twitter? Yeah, you can follow me at Sean L. Donahue. And just to add to our you know, great five people that gave us a five-star reviews, it's actually up to six people now. So, even Oh, my goodness. Wow. Six people listened to our entire podcast last week, at least. That's impressive. Um, but we always enjoy the feedback, too. So um, you know, even if you don't uh, review us over 
iTunes if you want to send us a message on Twitter with any constructive feedback of what you guys want to hear more or less of. Um, we're always open to that sort of thing. But um, even though the bribing period is over, uh, we encourage you to leave us a review on iTunes uh, or wherever you're listening. Um, the Revs hit the road next week to face off against Sporting Kansas City. As we said, cannot wait. Uh, we'll be back with a new episode at our usual time. Uh, but until then, thank you everyone for listening and go Revs.